This is a small city. Just north of the big city. Built on brickyards, factories, and small businesses. With a rich history and strong roots. And this is a podcast. That serves to tell our story. Share our experience. And celebrate our community. This. This. Is Beacon. In this episode, Terry Nelson drops in for an action-packed chat. We explore his journey to Beacon, his contributions to the community, and his thoughts on gentrification. Without further ado, this is Terry. Well, welcome back to This is Beacon, everybody. This is Brooke. This is Ruben. This is Brandon. And today we have another, you know, we just keep coming with the hits. We have a lot of great people, a lot of great uh, um, talent in this community, a lot of great voices in this community. Um, So today I'm going to let our our guest introduce himself. So go right ahead. uh, Tell everybody who you are. I am Terry Nelson. Uh, I am currently a city council person for Ward 1. Um, And I've been in Beacon for 11 years. Wow. Eleven and a half. Excuse me. Wow. So you know, Terry. In so many ways, I think um, you hit different parts of the community, right? Um, so just tell folks, like, how might they know you, right? Outside of being a councilman, um, where else? You know, what other things are you involved with? Well, um, I'm on. A, I'm a board member of Beacon Arts. I've been doing that on and off ever since I moved here. Um, I started the Beacon Independent Film Festival uh, with a couple of friends of mine, and uh, I think that's how people know me, and um, of course, from city council. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you said that you, you joined right away. And that to me, like, I was like, hmm, interesting, because I felt like I've known you longer than 11 years. <laughs> I think you, you really did. You, you moved in and jumped right in for sure. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I actually, ahead, met, sorry. I actually met Terry a few years ago through podcasting at the former ground radio station at the old Beacon High School. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, we have some history together yeah, back in the wow. day. Yes. Yeah, so 11 years. Tell us about that a little bit, you know. Um, what what brought you to Beacon? How did you find your way here? Well, um, I should say it's actually closer to 12. Um uh, so about 13 years ago, a friend of mine moved here with her partner and they invited uh, my wife and I to, um, and a little infant daughter to, uh, to, um, their home, uh, housewarming. And we had already been looking at moving out of, uh, out of Brooklyn because, uh, you know, uh, spoiler Uh-oh. alert, you know, <laughs> being priced out. so we were looking into other we were looking at other communities outside of new york city and one of the important things that we wanted to look at we wanted to see find a community that was diverse or as uh as diverse as they can possibly be in dutchess county and um we we picked beacon you know we we liked it when we first got here uh at the homecoming party we drove around you know we were like, all right, a couple of uh, abandoned storefronts. Okay, that's cool. You know, it happens everywhere. And, uh, yeah, we just landed on Beacon. So were there any other communities that, that you were even considering? Or once, once like, the idea that you knew you wanted to get out, and once you got to the housewarming party, like, you just fell in love with Beacon? I fell in love with Beacon, and, you know, we were, we were just looking at places, and there are a couple places outside of Brooklyn that we saw that 
just didn't didn't appeal to us. And so we decided just to give Beacon a try since we knew my friend Maureen, who coincidentally run, ran the uh, film festival with me. She started it with me. Um, yeah, we just liked what we saw around here. We just liked the different, we, we liked just seeing different types of people. We just liked the town. I'm sorry, city. People don't like that. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I, I shot my brother a look when you said that. <laughs> city. It is a city. We are um, small but mighty. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, and I just liked everything about it. And then I have an arts background because I, I worked, um, I was working in film and television. Uh, I was still commuting when I first worked here, but I started in film and television in 1989. And I've been working in film and television all the way through to like, I think I stopped commuting around 2012, maybe. Yeah. So, you know, you brought up the Brooklyn to Beacon connection, right? I think we, we definitely feel that, right? And we recently were speaking with uh, um, the real estate agent about that. Um, so one of the things that came up for me and you describing that. Do you, what do you think that is, that connection? You know, why do so many folks from Brooklyn specifically tend to find Beacon attractive, the appeal? Um, is it the diversity? I'm not sure what it is. Um, you know, uh, on the diversity um, point, you know, we actually looked it up, you know, and we were comparing to other, other communities and we thought, like, okay, this is where we should be. Um, but uh, as far as other people go, well, people in Brooklyn, uh, there's a, a part of Brooklyn called Williamsburg. And that was like basically an artist community. And, you know, once, uh, once people with deep pockets find places to buy cheap uh, property, that's where they go. And, you know, people like that tend to reshape uh, the community and their image instead of being a part of the community. And I think that that's one of the, that's one of the horrible things about gentrification is, um, the people who are buying are not necessarily community minded, you know? Mm. Yeah, no, we're definitely going to get into that for sure. Um, because it feels like, feels like you may have some nuggets to drop on that for sure. Um, but before we get into all things um, affordable housing, I mean, because we could start there, actually. Um, but before we get into that, you know, when you're not being creative and you're not being a councilman, um, what can people find you doing? What do you do in your free time? Okay, this is um, this going to be a hard one. Uh, is, is there <laughs> such thing called free time for you? Um. I I think I think I, I think I it's called free for, time. I was waiting for you to say read policies and. <laughs> um, well, it, it's kind of hard for me because uh, I'm a freelance writer. You know, I write for a music website, and I'm working on my first novel, and so uh, I spend a lot of my time doing that. And then when my brain can't take it anymore, I just hang out with my family. You know, we'll play, we'll play a game, we'll watch TV, we'll talk, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, my free time is with my family because, um, they've been cheated out of a lot of time with me. Mm, yeah. 
Yeah, I can relate. Uh, person in leadership, um, if, if, if you don't have your strong support group behind you, you know, that, that is definitely willing and understanding because there's a lot of commitments when, when you take on leadership roles of uh, meetings and meeting with other people, trying to understand, especially when you get when, when you jump into it just the way you did because there's that learning curve of, you know, I have a little bit of passion. I'm saying I think I can do it, but I'm not saying that uh, I'm all well versed in it myself. So even that learning curve and, and needing that time to learn yourself, you know, um, shout out to your family. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. My wife, my wife is a hero. She really. <laughs> um, yeah, she definitely puts up with a lot. And, you know, she but she understands that, you know, I'm. I'm a creative person. I'm an arts person. And, you know, and up until a few years ago, I was, you know, politician, you know, so, um, she knows about the demands of my time and she's very understanding. So is my daughter. Yeah. And, uh, and so the other thing too, I find when you are in these spaces, right, because when you are a freelancer and you are a public figure, there is no, um, punch in and punch out, right? There's a, there's a little bit of a, of a solace to knowing that, Hey, not my shift, that kind of work, right? There's, there's, Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of solace to that. So, you know, when you, when you do, when you do have this type of, um, this work structure, right? I think it's 10 times more important to make sure that you are carving out that space with family. And and when it, when it is family and it's people that really know, know you, they get, they Mm -hmm. always give you the space to relax. They give you this, you know, because, um, when you are a public figure, sometimes you, you feel like, you know, no matter what, I'm still wearing that, that badge, you know, I'm, I'm still, you know, this council person. Right. So like, um, it's, it's 10 times more important to make sure you keep that circle around you so that you can, you know, feel comfortable to let go. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to lose sight of that, you know, and it's unfortunate, but you know, we're all human. We all make that mistake. You know, I've made that mistake, you know, on several occasions where I just had tunnel vision and was just thinking about council stuff or thinking about film festival stuff or, you know, or working on my book. Um, You know, it's very easy to lose sight of that. And that's why I think family is so important, you know, and I have a, I have a, I have a loving and understanding family and that, that kind of helps me. Actually keeps me a little grounded. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And well, since you led us here with the gentrification, we're going to, you know, we're going to go outside of our script here. um, And we're going to lean into this all things affordable housing, because now I just want to extract all the knowledge that I can from you. Um, You know, affordable housing being a real concern here in Beacon, a real threat to a lot of folks today. Um, And I know this is an important topic for you. It sounds like something that you have a bit of experience with from your time um, in Brooklyn. You want to tell us a little bit about that? I I can even go further back. Um, I grew up on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And, you know, on the block I lived in, you know, there's this playground in the middle. And, you know, this is where everyone congregated. You know, we played football in the streets. You know, we played street games. We did, you know, we played stickball in the street, you know, it was a, you know, it was a great community of kids. And as the years went on and as Broadway kept changing, I'm like, wow, all these buildings have the same awning. That's, that's interesting. Everything started to look the same and all my friends started disappearing, started moving. And, you know, that was my first taste of uh, gentrification. 
um, jump to 1997, I lived in Fort Greene, another artist community in Brooklyn, and the gentrification started there. And, you know, it's really weird. I think we've taken that word and it's just, I'm not sure what it means anymore. You know, um, to me, it's, uh, it's taking the flavor out of a community and, you know, um, draining its resources for lack of a better word. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Yeah. I think a lot of people see it as something, um, a slightly different of a lens. Um, so to hear right. you define it for you, I think, you know, that's the super helpful. Yeah. And the, 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 the horrible thing about gentrification is like, you don't see it coming until it's already happened. You know, it's like, you can just go on about your life and you notice little things here and there. It's like, oh, that's, that's a little weird. And you go on about your business. And the next thing you know, you got, uh, you got strange little boutique shops. You got, um, four story housing popping up out of nowhere. And you know, you're like, well, when did this happen? And I think that's how all movements happen. It's like, you know, people wake up like, Oh my God, this is happening. And, I tell them, no, it happened. <laughs> you know, it's past tense. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, and 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 I'm not, I'm I'm not a specialist in this field, but I just even hearing you say um, uh, the, the various communities that you lived in, and it seemed like it always started with arts. So it's almost like I'm saying, if you see art coming to your community, because 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 artists aren't known for having a lot of money, they're, they're they're known for like just living in a loft and and just freelancing or and, and not having big dollars. So it's almost like to me. That, that, that might be the first red flag because just hearing that you've been in a couple of communities, it seemed like it started with art. Like, yeah, we, we're going to start making this, whatever this eyesore into a beautiful eyesore and then turn yeah. this stuff into art. And then, and then, and then, like you said, someone comes and takes interest and you can't control people. You can't control people who have money. And then once they already come in and take the interest, yeah, it's already too late. Yeah. Right. I make it a habit not to get into people's pockets because I don't want them in mine. You know, so if, you know, if somebody buys a building, you know, I mean, it's, it's their right. You know, mm-hmm. my thing, my thing is I wish there were better attempts to integrate with the community. You know, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how to solve the problem, you know, cause, uh, you don't know what it looks like. It's, it, you know, it's there, yeah. you know, gentrification is like, uh, the, the coronavirus of the 20th century, you know, it's mm-hmm. an evil <laughs> world. <laughs> <in there. laughs> it just it just creeps up on you, and it is there, and it's not going anywhere. Yeah, and so you know, based on that definition, would you say gentrification? That's because I feel like it, it's always when it's spoken about when we when it's related to Beacon, it's almost spoken about like, well, you could call it that, or maybe that's what's happening here. But based on your definition, is that what's truly happening here in Beacon? Um, you know, like I said, it, it happened already. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, um, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to paint with a broad brush and say that, you know, every developer or entrepreneur who buys a building is evil or inherently evil. Yep. But there are, there are a lot of problems attached to this and there's no one solution to it. You know, um, if I can just speak on affordable housing, you know, or segue into that, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I really want to know yeah. first, you know, what are some of the issues that are arising because of it 
in like, you know, what are some of the stories? What are some of the, what's the impact to what's happening here that you're hearing um, from your position as a councilman? Well, this monster has many heads. Mm. Um, you have, you know, like, you know, the previously mentioned developers that come in and, you know, buy a building on the cheap and then, you know, build. Um, but you also have people who've been here a long time who rent out places. And when the demographics start to change and the median income, average median goes up, you know, that's an opportunity for them to take their, their place, kick out a tenant and charge a higher rent mm-hmm. to someone. You know, I mean, that's shady. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a, we don't have oversight here. There ha- you know, it doesn't exist. Um, New York City is the only place where there's a uh, rent stabilization or um, <clears throat> laws and, you know, laws that favor tenants, you know, and it's the exact opposite here. You know, I have, I, I had a shady landlord who lived near me and um, tried to kick out one of my constituents, but before he kicked her out, he was basically terrorizing her. He was stealing her cable. He was like going through her mail. And, you know, when people ask for help and you tell them what they need to do to do it, they have to do it, you know? And so she didn't take my advice and she wound up, you know, losing her place. And I, I, and I felt horrible about that because there was nothing I can do about it. There was no, there was no committee. There's no landlord tenant court there, you know, that doesn't exist here in Beacon. So tenants have no rights. And I wish tenants in bigger buildings would get together and not the lack of a better word, unionize or just organize. And, you know, as a block state your complaints. I think that that would go a long way. So, so Terry would, and this is Brandon, sorry. Um, why, what is the difference between, why is it that New York City was able to yes. establish these sort of rules and a city like Beacon hasn't done that yet? Or is, is, are, the, are we able to? Is this something that... Or besides the obvious that New York City gets to do whatever they want and then true, the rest of the state true. of New York has to do, have to suffer consequences and state mandates and w- without health and stuff like that. I don't want to get into much of that because that'd probably be a po- another podcast. But, um, but, but yeah, because like you always hear about people in New York City talking about rent control or like, like they stay in a certain place because they don't yeah. want to lose the yep. rate that they're at. But, um, but, but we can't get these in um, with, within our communities or throughout the state. And now... Is that a higher level of legislation and politics that uh, we would have to, I like the word unionize um, or, or organize it to, to, to where, where, where instead of us thinking that it's you guys at the council that we really need to be educated as a community and, and how can we actually help you fight for what we all need as a community? Um, yeah, uh, it's taking it to the countywide level, you know. You know, talk to your county legislator. I mean, they actually did a great job. Nick Page and Fritz Zernica. Um, we have uh, we passed the uh, Emergency Tenant Protection Act, and and that's uh, that was in 1974 in New York. That's when rent stabilization pretty much came into play. It used to be rent control in New York, but that's no longer 
that's no longer the case. It's just rent stabilization. And, um, oh, it's thousands of pages of, you know, I, I still am reading through this two years later, but basically, you know, I'll give you the cliff notes. Um, if, uh, if a municipal, municipality wants to have rent stabilization, they can hire a firm to do a survey. And if the vacancy rate is less than 5%, then the landlord, landlords cannot raise your rent above 2% or it's 2.7. I forget what it is. But, you know, you can't just double and triple someone's rent arbitrarily. You shouldn't be doing that anyway. But, you know, um, that's what rent stabilization is. And that's what I want to work on. And that's some I'm hoping that we can get the survey done. I think COVID kind of slowed that down a little bit. But uh, I want to hop back onto this. And, you know, the other conversation that we're not having or no one has had is how we define affordability. You know, Thank affordable you. to me and affordable to you, yes. you know, it could yes. be two different things. And I think that we need, you know, you know how people say uh, reimagine policing. How about we reimagine housing and reimagine affordability and how we talk about it? You can't see me right now, but both my hands I, are up. <laughs> I see you. <laughs> <laughs> Both my hands are up. I, you know, I, I, you know, I applaud you for saying that because one of the things that I've noticed is that when we say affordable air quotes, affordable, there's a couple things going on with that, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's almost like in some respects, I look at it and I say affordable, that's like afford. It reminds me of when we talk about higher education and it's like, oh, it's free as long as your parent doesn't make one dollar. Oh, none of you actually qualify for it. Right. Yeah. And and, and, and and not even just the affordable, um, like Terry, you know, I work for the city of Beacon Highway Department. And so they always throw out affordable and then they throw out that workforce affordable. And I'm saying, well, you know what? I We, we are the workforce. So, yeah. Wh- where did these numbers come from? Because I'm saying city employees can't live in this within the city um, in, in my bracket. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm me personally, we'll, we'll just stick with me. I don't need to talk about anyone else. Yeah. I'm struggling to find housing in, in, in a community that I'm passionate for. And I do so much work within, you know, and um, so, yeah, when they say, well, you know, we're going to I almost feel like it's just slogans to put out there to make people feel good. And I'm saying which gets back into politics that. But um, I, I think yeah. I, I once again, like Brooke, I applaud you bringing it up and, and, and making sure that we're let's reimagine having these conversations because. Um, right. I don't think I understand them. I, I think they're just words. I don't think they're actually reality. You cannot use 20th century metrics to solve a 21st century problem. Mm. And I think that's where, we're, that's where we're at now. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, just it's common sense. You would want your local workforce to live in the same town, same city, same municipality, because... Uh, whatever they spend, they're going to spend it locally. If if you work in Beacon and you live outside of Beacon, you're throwing your money and your tax dollars somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I, it's economics. You know, we have to be able to do a better job of keeping our workforce here so they can, you know, so they can live here and work here. Yeah. And I mean that, you know, what it does is 
it is to me, it is the linchpin. It is what has always made Beacon special, which is, you know, you are much more committed, dedicated, um, you know, care for concerned about, right? Like if that pothole is on your street, you know, you're that much more concerned about getting it done, right? You're that much more committed and connected to the community that which you serve when that community is also the community that you are raising your own family in. Um, And I think that that has been, you know, regardless of what era of beacon you're looking at, right? You've always had a Mm -hmm. beacon that has always been tight knit because even when there was all both of us here, the both of us were here in these, you know, 4.78 square miles that I always refer to. Um, So I, I absolutely am for and would love a world where we get a committee together or whatever that is to really address what does it look like to reimagine housing here in Beacon, reimagine what affordable looks like. And to your point earlier, getting really clear on definitions. Yeah, exactly. And um, t- Terry, um, from from your perspective, because like I said, uh, um, this is not my field of expertise, definitely a field of interest, though. Yeah. Um, what what is the possibilities? What how should we even be going about it? Like like do do you see possibilities? Things that that could be done that just aren't being done because maybe they aren't being uh, prioritized as um, on top of the list. Well, I'm I'm gonna I'm trying to make it a priority. Um, the the heartbreaking thing about this is there's so many things that need to be done. There's so I mean we are broken beyond repair almost and you know a lot of things need to happen um rent stabilization is not the only answer but it is one of the answers um change the way we talk about affordable and have a clearer definition of what that is and there are so many problems we have, you know, we've got food insecurity problems. We got a homeless problem. We have a lot of problems here that I don't know. I, it's just, it's kind of frustrating to be a politician, you know, mm-hmm. and knowing that I can't do, you know, I, I can't do it alone. I would say lobby, complain, be a pain in the ass your local council person, your local representative, your local assemblyman, and do it together. Everyone can't, you know, we can't all do it in silos. It has to be a group of people letting, you know, letting their elected officials know that they're pissed off, they're angry, and they need, they need to have the conversation at least. Let's start there. Yeah, and, I, you know, what I heard when you said that was, you know, get vocal, Right. Because, you know, if you were to ask me of all the 9000 problems we have, this one is the one that keeps a lot of people up at night. Even if you are a homeowner, you know, you hear about a lot of homeowners afraid about what is happening with our taxes and can I am I going to be able to stay in my home? Right. Like I think about the elderly who are on a fixed income that have been here for many, many decades and now wondering, am I going to be priced out from that regard? Um, in addition to rent, in addition to the younger families that want to stay here. um, You know, like you said, this is multifaceted, but in so many ways, I think this is critical to the future of our community. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree, agree with you. Yeah, so I mean, but what I hear is you got to get vocal, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't hear about it at the council meeting, if you don't hear about it in the newspaper, if you're not talking about it, what ends up happening, similar to like all the work we did around the mental health, is that you suffer in silence, right? That becomes right. a you problem, an individual problem, um, and not a we problem, right? Like I'm, I'm looking at my brother here, and like the fact that this man works in this community has given back so much to this community. And for whatever reason, and the 9,000 reasons we've already listed is having difficulty and not in, in, in difficulty in a way that like you can't even like pinpoint, right? Like it's not the one thing, it's the multiple things that are happening, whether it's, oh, that house came on the market and it was gone in two seconds, or this one came in and got over, you know, was overpriced before you know it, or, you know. Or you put a bid in and now you're in a bidding war and you're definitely going to win that if if you're talking local dollars. You know, um, you know, to me, like that is a huge concern, right? Like not only to me personally, but I take him and I multiply him by the many, many, many souls that want to live, stay, grow their family and have a true commitment to this community, it would be a shame for us to lose out on all of that manpower, to lose out all on all that talent. And, um, and, and, you know, really to your point earlier, Terry, the thing that makes this community so great, right? It's those things that make this community so great. Um, and, um, it's the people. So how do we make sure that we're creating a roadmap, um, and preparing for, to make sure that all those walks of life have the opportunity to stay? Yeah. yeah. You know, I I just got to say, if anyone listening to what you just said is not pissed off right now, then I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that you should not be in that position. Mm. No one should be in that position. And you know what? This is like, it's the same as fighting racism. You, I can't fight racism alone. Other people have to do it too. Everybody has to get involved. Housing problem is not just a poor people's problem or a working person's problem. It's everybody's problem. It affects the entire community not just a fraction of it. And people got to stop thinking that, but just because it's not happening to me, then it's not a problem. Mm. You can't do that. Everybody needs to get involved. Everybody needs to say something. Yeah. And so when you, when you think about your position here on council and you look ahead you know, giving yourself permission to dream, what are some of the things that you hope to see in the coming months, you know, from the community, like what would be, what would success look like to you? I had a magic wand. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> or crystal this, wall. Okay. Yeah. This you is know. the space of all things dreams. <laughs> this, okay. Thank you. I see the stars over my head. Um, <laughs> uh, Camp Beacon. You guys are familiar. You guys are familiar with that. Mm-hmm. If I would love to see someone come in, develop that and create something that created jobs that created, you know, jobs with a living wage. Let's, let's, let's make that distinction. Not just, you know, not a $10 an hour job, a living wage kind of job. Um, I would also love to see the rec center triple in size if we can find the space for it. I mean, I think that, we've got to start paying attention 
and start giving our youth um, more things to do. And the last thing, I would say I would love to see a trade school or, you know, talk about the trades being an important thing because college ain't for everybody. And I hate this. And I don't, I'm not trying to be, you know, whatever, but, you know, trades are important. You know, um, a lot of kids don't have those skills. And so we need to start paying more attention to trades, hard work. Some of the unions should um, sponsor a young person and have them work with them and work work alongside them. And maybe they can earn their way into getting into the union. I mean, these are, you know, these are just one of the many things I want to see happen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I thank you for sharing that. Those are really, those are, those are good dreams. I, 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 you know, when I get my magic wand, I will be sure to, <laughs> to make sure that happens. But in the meantime, those of you that are listening and those of you who say, Hey, Terry, like, I want to see that. I, I mean, personally, everything you listed there, you got my support. Everything you listed there, I absolutely agree. We need in this community. You know, we talk about the rec center quite a bit. We we absolutely believe that, you know, and, and beyond just for the youth, just for the community in general, there's a lot of um, wins that we can get out of a robust recreation center for this community, for a community of this caliber, Um Absolutely. I think the workforce, right? Like, like work, you know, um, making sure that because we do have a lot of small businesses, we do have a lot of um, entrepreneurs in our community. We do have a lot of that, but you know, remember this is a factory town. This is a town that was built on big business, lots of jobs and, and, and jobs that people were proud of having, Jobs that were, you know, really providing some form of stability to the folks within this community. And then you think about all of the other businesses, you know, should that dream come true at the uh, at the camp? You can just see all the additional revenue that would come from those jobs. Right. Because now you have that many more people coming into Beacon for work that many more people that will, you know, stop at this particular establishment or deli or whatever that is, right? Like just the additional revenue that would come if we were able to um, bring that to fruition. So I, 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 I second all of that. Do I get Thank a motion <laughs> or do I make a motion? <laughs> yeah, we're not well versed on, on, on the operation of the process. I'm tired of making motions. (laughs) 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 Yeah. But but yeah. So yeah. So thank you for that. So now, you know, switching gears a little bit, you did already say that there's a lot of issues going on in Beacon, right? Another one that you've been pretty passionate about and that you've been working on is all things um, selection of the new police chief. Um, So, you know, let's just dive into that um, quickly here just to, you know, bring folks up to speed that may not be aware. Um, Tell us a little bit about that process of selecting a police chief um, this round and how how has that differ from the past? Well, I mean, it differed from the past because there was more community participation. You know, there was an actual committee to look for a police chief. Uh, so that's one big difference. Um, 
it was a great process. We have a lot of great community members. John, former council member John Rembert, Pastor John Perez, um, Deacon Marty Mieski, Deborah Felder, who works with the NAACP, and you know Stefan Seward, who was a who is a member of Beacon for Black Lives. Uh, I wanted to make sure that we have total representation, and that's why I wanted him on the committee. Um, Molly Rhodes uh, works for uh, God. It's I'm an old man. I forget where she works. <laughs> I forgive me. Um, and uh, Council Member Rhodes uh, was on that committee too. Yeah, and so can and you? We ha- oh, go ahead. And we had uh, Lieutenant uh, Lieutenant Biglia. Oh, so even even folks on the police force was there was representation there on the committee, right? That's yeah. important for sure. Um, and so, you know, just just give us an idea of um, just like a rough idea of like the process. What did that look like? Right. So you had a group of of constituents, we call them. Right. There's like it sounds like a lot of people representing a lot of different um areas of the community, including the force, which I think, I think that's phenomenal to have that included, but what was the general layout in terms of the process that you guys went through as a committee? Well, um, community uh, input was very important also, not just having community members on the committee, but having members of the community take a survey. And so we took, uh, we took a survey. We hired a search firm called uh, Public Sector, I believe it's called. And, you know, they created the survey. You know, we, we, uh, we had some other questions. And we took the data from the survey. And, you know, we said, okay, this is what everyone, well, the people who took the survey want in a police chief. You know, how they saw policing. And um, we took that in the mind and uh, we made a brochure and Gary sent it out to different, different agencies, a lot of agencies uh, with chiefs, a lot of agencies um, with strictly women in law enforcement. Um, We, we blanketed the area. Unfortunately, we were only limited to New York, uh, New York state. That's a, that's a Dutchess County rule. So we, we had no, we couldn't go outside of the area. As far so, as uh, searching for applicants? Searching for applicants. So um, the applicants would apply. Um, there were about 30 plus applicants. Um, some of them didn't qualify because they didn't pass the civil service requirement. Uh, so we narrowed it down to about seven. And then we looked over their resumes. We discussed it. And, you know, you know, there were background checks also, so that kind of slowed us down a little bit. And um, we came up with four candidates that needed to, uh, we, that we wanted to interview. Now, Lieutenant, well, Lieutenant Chief Frost now, um, originally he didn't want to, he didn't want the job. And he was reluctant. And once he stepped in as acting chief, he sort of uh, changed his mind. And um, I'm grateful that he did because he gave a great interview and I was, uh, I was happy for him because you know, he's a really, he's a really great guy. He's a really, really conscientious individual. You know, he listens. And I think that that's important, especially now, 
you know, someone who is in a position of authority in the police department has to be able to listen yeah. and work with the community. Yeah, exactly. And um, you also brought up the fact that um, we had the search firm, and I know that came up as like a um, controversial topic as far as uh, spending dollars on, on, on a firm to look for applicants. Um, but you also touched on the fact that the candidate that holds the position now, um, Chief Frost, he, he um, was on the fence on if he wanted it or not. So in your in your opinion, um, I guess there's a couple of factors on by the time Chief, Chief Frost was uh, in there provisionally or temporarily, was the decision already made to hire the search firm? And like once you once you the decision was already made, then um, obviously you you couldn't go back on something that was uh, already voted on and approved. And uh, the follow up question would be, do, do you still feel even though. I think I think the community is satisfied with the um, the end result, but do you feel like that the dollars spent were worth it? Well, I mean, if I had a had time machine, you know, I would I would have convinced you know we we tried to convince him to do it and he wouldn't do it, so we needed to go for a search because uh, there were only two people, you know, who would qualify for the job that were on the force and. Uh, Actually, one, I think. Anyway, um, I don't regret it, you know, because we looked in earnest for uh, a new chief and someone who checked off all those things we had on the community checklist and survey. And, you know, we had that candidate. So by by the time we were in the middle of the process, Chief Frost decided that he wanted the job. So that's why... Cause he was originally on the committee and Lieutenant Figlia replaced him on the committee. Mm. And, you know, had I wished that we could have resolved this without spending the money. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, but I think we really needed to do our, do our homework and make sure we got somebody or searched for someone, you know, little did we know he was like in our backyard and, you know, willing to do it out of the blue. I mean, it surprised me <laughs> to be honest yeah. with you. I, I, he convinced me, you know, I said, I take the man at his word. He doesn't want the job. And in the middle of the process, he decided that he wanted to apply. Yeah. I think that's, that's helpful to just understand the context of the timeline, right? Like it wasn't that mm-hmm. he was always interested, right? So to your point, you had a limited pool of people within the force to begin with, and then really coupled that with what was going on from a city standpoint, getting an external search firm involved could help you understand that we are doing a robust effort to get a, you know, a solid candidate for this. The question that I have is that, you know, for folks that may or may maybe didn't participate right in the survey, what were some of the things that the community asked for out of a police chief? Like what, what were some of the things that bubbled up to the surface? Well, it's, it's funny. It, it, it was wide ranging, you know, from we don't have a police problem. We're fine to um, there needs to be better communication with the police. And uh, believe it or not, um, having things for kids to do and having the police be like involved, like recreational things were, was one of the things that was mentioned. Um, I think uh, for the most part, it was just 
not having an adversarial relationship with the police was one of the most important things. And how you arrive there, I I guess you just start talking to each other. You yeah, know, yeah. You have you have an yeah you have an open door policy because uh, the thing about Lieutenant Frost, or I keep saying Lieutenant Chief Frost, um, <laughs> is that he made the effort to meet with speaking for black lives and other organizations, his door is open. Whereas that was not the case previously. And that for me as a council person was an issue. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what I'm hearing you say is, you know, based on what you heard from the community to you, the right leader needed to be a leader that was going to be open, a leader that was going to not shy away, right? Because we've definitely had that in the past. We've had, um, you know, police chiefs in the past, not naming names, that didn't want to engage with community members, didn't want to have conversations. Um, and, you know, I think in a lot of ways that stalls progress because once you shut yeah. down the communication, there's not very far we can go from here, right? Like um, I personally working with uh, um, Beacon now, formerly Beacon Speaks Out, you know, it's critical to be able to have conversations because quite literally if you're, the door is shut, there's no engagement. There's no, you know, there's no ability to influence the now, um, if you're not having the dialogue around, you know, why did this happen? What is happening? What do we hope to see? Um, so I'm glad to hear you say that that's what you see out of, um, chief frost. <laughs> right. So, yes, thank you for reminding me. Um, see, yeah, when you put a wall up, you know, not, it, it sends a message and it sends several messages. Actually. It's like, it could be, what are they hiding? You know, how come they have no interest in, you know, being amongst the community, you know, it's like when you, when you close yourself off like that, you, you, you let everyone's imagination just go, you know, or you think that, you know, that they are hiding something, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I appreciate Chief Frost. Good. Uh, Chief Frost um, and his open door policy. Yeah, and I, and I would also want to congratulate him for obviously getting the position. Um, you guys voted him in uh, this past Monday, uh, correct? And uh, uh, yes, and 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 I I think it's just a, a testament to his character. Um, Thirty seven years on the force, um, a police officer can retire at twenty. I think I think he's committed and dedicated to the city. Um, I know he known known me probably for longer than I known myself. He probably knew me when I was a kid. Uh, he knows my parents, you know, and, and just to hear and, um, the, the, just, and then they usually say that people who are like receptive to taking a leadership position turn out to be actually a good leader for those positions, you know? And, and, um, Resistant. I, I, I just commend him for, um, being open-minded and seeing what the community is and not only just with, within the community, but also within the, the camaraderie that, could build within the police force itself because I know he's highly respected from the the actual officers that, that now he oversees. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's tough when, when, when you work with some, with, with a group of people and then now you got to manage them, you know, and then not only are you managing them, right. there's all these social issues and community issues that are also happening at the same time. So you, mm -hmm. you, you can be pulled, but I think he has a great personality. You know, um, I've, I personally never even seen him upset. 
you know, like I think his personality is, <laughs> right. you know, his charisma and stuff, you know, so I think he's, be, he's able to re, um, relate with a lot of uh, different walks of lives. And I'm sure through 37 years on the police force, he, what I also like about it is he also brings history. I'm big on history. Like you have to know where we were, what we went through right. and, 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 and to see where we want to go into the future, you know? And, and that's something that we're big on. We just talked with uh, Denise Van Buren on the uh, Bob Murphy book and, and we're all starting, starting to get into our own history of, of Beacon as, as itself. But um, I, I right. definitely like that component because that's something that he brings to the table that, that you, you, you can't find anywhere else and you can't put a dollar well, on. Right. It's interesting you say that because um, uh, the police department took the survey also. You know, and it was all anonymous. And the thing that stood out was like everyone wanted to have morale improve. They wanted a chief who could improve morale. And that's telling. That's telling to me. That, that, that explains a whole lot. Yes, it does. You know, and I, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Just you saying that now, I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and I also think, you know, I, you know, I will, I'm telling you now, police chief, if you're listening to this, I'm not blaming you for not raising your hand earlier. I think we all had to walk through that journey for a reason. I'm not doing that. What I am, what I am, I'm happy that you did that because what it tells me is, you know, he didn't feel like, you know, oh, I have to do this. He took the time to understand whether or not he wanted to do this. And then when he made that decision, he was courageous enough to raise his hand and let you guys know, um, despite being all the way, you know, halfway down the journey. So, you know, I have compassion for you. Um, I, you know, I'm super excited, right? Because everything that you said, Ruben, like, History matters. Knowing where we came from matters. Having the respect from the force matters. We've learned that. We've, we've, we've done some learning in these last few years, right? Like I, I, I got really deep into all things policing in Beacon about, what was that, five, six years ago now? Yeah. Um, and so I've, I've been around the block a little bit um, on this topic. And, you know, all the, the care, the small the small characteristics that he brings in tells me that he's uniquely qualified to be the one in the seat right now, um, you know, to build the morale, to open the doors, right? Because I think there is a mistrust from the community going on right now. Um, and we're going to need that type of leadership. We're going to need that, that listening leadership. And also, um, you know, we've been down the road with the leadership that says, Oh, well, I wasn't here when that happened. Right. So he can say, no, I was here and, you know, I understand what it is that you're saying. This isn't a new story to me. Um, so I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm hoping that that serve, serves us as a community for a lot of healing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you, you kind of said it like that. That's one of my pit, uh, biggest pit peeves, you know, when, um, people, um, apply for a job, they get interviewed through it, and then they actually accept the offer. And then, yeah, they, they take that line of, what well, happened before me? Yeah, I know, but you took a leadership position. So everything that came before you, understand that. That's <laughs> all your plate now. You get know? to know all of this. You know? and, 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 and a quick story, not to go off on tangent, um, I, I found myself in that situation. You know, I took on a leadership role early when I was young um, for the president of CSCA within, for the city of Beacon Workers. And I had a worker in a department tell me an issue. And then I, I, I let him talk to me for 15 minutes, and I'm I'm saying, when did this happen? And he's like, he's like, I'm telling you, this happened in 1979. Ooh. 
And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I wasn't even born then, you know. But 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 I still knew that I had to keep an open mind and open up and and, and understand what his truth was because there was no way that I was going to lead moving into the future because even at that time there there, there were some um, some little discrepancies on whether if workers felt like they were being treated with respect or. Yeah. Uh, if they were appreciated. So, but for me as a leader in that space, I, I needed to dive back down to 78. Like, well, yeah. what was 78, you know? And, 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 and how, how, how can I, can I have this conversation with him to move things forward? Yeah. But yeah, we're, we're for us being able to bring that knowledge in and, and especially with the new officers that are coming in. Um, we do a lot of community events with Iron Beacon. Um, officers are always helping us out with the, with our run. They help us out with, um, control, uh, traffic control. Um, so mm-hmm. every chance I get, I always make sure that I acknowledge the support that, uh, uh, the, the city of Beacon Police does for our community, and um, we know what's going on in the nation. So I try to dial a lot of back down to what, what's happening locally. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we do what issues we have, we will address. You know, but we can we can address the nation's issues and target our police force, and then expect that they're still going to be open arms with us. You know, because right. We're we're all human, you know, and 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 I could just imagine if if if, if I was in that situation myself. So mm-hmm. um, I'm looking forward to having these conversations and seeing what's going on with the I think the 203 rule rule 203 or law 203, whatever the state oh, yeah. is bringing out. But um, I I, I think uh, the challenges that, that 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 we have in this community, I think we can get through. And yes, it starts with communication. Yeah, and that yeah, that's and- a good segue because what I was going to ask you is now that this is complete. Is the committee just released of all their duties or is there something else um, coming? No, they've been released of their duty. We've, we've, we've done our part. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And so now that we've got a police chief in, in, in place and we've got, you know, lots of conversation, we have the mandate coming down from the state. Um, what is, what, what's going, can you give us any, um, an update on what's going on on the policing front in general for folks that are saying, okay, now we got a police chief, but now how are we going to solve these issues? Well, the state handed down, uh, guidelines for us to follow, but that's not enough. We need to go the extra step, you know, we need to, it can't, because if we just like follow the state guidelines, did nothing else, then we're not doing our job. And that, you know, that's, it's embarrassing if you don't, if we don't make improvements, you know, people have been telling us what, you know, what they want and it can't just be the basic. You have to, we have to follow all the guidelines. I, I don't, I can't recall what's top of my head right now because I'm old. Uh, but we, I, I, I'm pushing for us to like go above and beyond the state guidelines. Yes, uh, Terry. You know, like uh, you, you, you got me over here raising my fists, and and, and it's just <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just happy to hear you talk about this because, like, yeah, I, I bumped into you here and there. I know you did the film festival, but I don't think we really had any deep dive conversation um, with your council hat on or with where I stand with as far as um, like city policies and stuff like that. But um, but but I the reason why I say that is because I, I believe that across the board, not with just the police. And I know there's a lot of policies that are being changed with our new HR director and things like that. But so, mm-hmm. so when we, when we hear um, state recommendations, 
Yes, that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a recommendation, you know, because I, th- I think we that's why we need to have as many eyes on it. You know, um, I think unions are resources um, when, when it comes to working together and policy making, because at the right. end of the day um, in the workforce and what's actually being practiced, you know, what I'm saying a, a, a state re- a state recommendation might not fit the model of what we're actually doing. And my example is always like um, the, our contract. Uh, the state has a CSEA contract with the state. City mm-hmm. of Beacon has a contract with CSCA. Yeah, because our, our jobs are, even though they're same, we're, we're all highway departments. You know, the actual operations and the practices are different. And um, to hear you say that about with um, even moving forward with uh, these police, uh, w- w- with this policing movement, uh, I, I think, yeah, that's why it, it, it all draws back down to um, conversations, you know. And, and I, I, I would just like that, at least throw that out there that w- Across the board, I'm, I'm maybe I'm speaking for you, but I'm I'm, I'm assuming that you look at <laughs> look 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 at that across the board. So when you're being told, like you know, these are these are just New York State uh, recommendations. Re- recommendations, and because 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 what it is is it's, it's almost like uh, health and safety to me. I'm not trying to check a box. I'm trying to create a culture. If I can create a health and safety culture, workers are going to work with each other like, oh, yo, you ain't got your heart at it. You ain't got your vest on. Not that when the boss comes around like, yo, man, you know you need to have that on, you know. So the same thing in, in the paperwork and when you're, when you're formulating this stuff, let's start creating a culture of things. Like I, the, whatever's being mandated by the state, if it's good stuff, let's find out. But how is it going to work in practice where we're at? Yeah, Let's and, not just check a box. Yeah, and I take it one step further is that whenever I hear the term recommendation or standard, right? Like to me, that's like, that's baseline. Yeah, like, bare minimum. That's like that's, that, this is what it looks like to survive. Mm-hmm. And what I know about Beacon is that we are a community that is special, that is unique and deserves not to survive, but to thrive. Yeah. So I want to know mm-hmm. what does best in class look like? I want I want to know what does it look like uniquely on, on this body of people, right? And what does it look like for this unique body of people, right? Because the reason why Beacon is so special, the reason why we are so unique is because we have always known who we are, right? And we've always made sure that our community matched our character. And when you start bringing in recommendations and standards and standardization and all that stuff, then you're asking me to be just as bland as every other community out there. And that's never who we've been. And that's not who we're trying to be. Yeah. And it's almost unacceptable. It ain't who we will be, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So I like I plagiarism. Mean, yeah. So Terry, now you got me all fired up. <laughs> now you got me all fired up on all these fronts. And now I see why you're like, what do I do in my free time? That's kid. That's like, that's, that's funny. Like <laughs> now I'm starting to see the scroll of all the things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um so first of all thank you so much for stopping by this has been awesome um you know like i said here you are getting me all fired up on a friday night to go read some policies um, <laughs> um, i'm gonna turn it over to uh brandon who's gonna give you one of our final fun questions that we ask all of our guests Yes, so oh Terry. Okay. <laughs> Get ready. So Terry, we, uh, we we like to refer to ourselves at I am Beacon as the Avengers of the city of Beacon. We each bring mm-hmm. a different trait and ability to this team. And my question for you is, what is your superpower? 
if you were recruited as an Avenger, what would you bring to the table? My superpower? Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Mm. I, damn. <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, uh, mm. Damn. I, I, you stopped me. I guess my superpower would be... Um, Sound, sound corny, but my empathy. Mm. Understanding, relating to people. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a, that's a that's an essential part of this job, you know. And in this day and age, it's kind of hard to have empathy. It's like you know, people will push you, you know. Uh, just some of the emails that I get, and I, I've been called a socialist. I've been called. Um, I've been called a Marxist. Uh, I, I've been told I hate my country. Um, and you know what? I can't get, you know, you can get mad, but you can say, okay, this person is coming from a place where he's hurting. So it's like, you know, I feel, you know, I feel sorry for you that you needed to write that to me or you didn't have, you know, you had the time in your day to say that to me. You know, I hope you get some help. <laughs> mm. So, Empathy would be my superpower. Sorry. No, that's no, a no, great don't, one. Don't be sorry about it. That's a great one because I'll yeah. tell you what, that'll be it. unique on the team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get frustrated. We have, to, we have to remind ourselves of that sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think I was a hostage negotiator uh, in, a, in another life or something. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in the right role, right? Because you're in a position where, you know, similar to what you said earlier, right? Like it's, you know, you've got to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes all the time and be able to carry that weight. And that's, you know, being a councilman is is a thankless job. It just is. <laughs> it is. But, you know, I mean. I've been poor, you know, I've been one paycheck away from losing my apartment. Um, I have gone hungry in my lifetime. So, you know, people are hurting all over. And if you don't take a little fraction of your time, your day to show some empathy or kindness, then you're wasting your time. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, and, and with that said, I I, I just want to thank you because um, a lot of a lot of work that um, we even do here at Iron Beacon, and I always thank uh, my team here at Iron Beacon with uh, giving giving back their time. You touched on it earlier with your family allowing you to have time to do the work that you do, and then to, to provide a, um, a public service. Um, I, I think, like Brooke said, is it, it, it sometimes it, it gets overlooked, and, and and like it feels very even, even though I know there's a passion within us that it is rewarding to us every now and then, um, and for, for me, it's definitely coaching with, with the youth of, of football and basketball. And, and, like, no matter how bad it gets, like, when, when I get out there and I see the young kids or, like, when, they, when they're walking back and forth to school and then, like, they yell out Coach Yogi, um, those, sometimes those, those are the reminders of why I do what I do because, yeah, em- empathy ain't my strong power. So sometimes, pe- <laughs> so sometimes people could get me out of my, uh, out of my character if, mm-hmm. if, if, they ha- if I have to. But, um, but, I, but I'm working on that. I'm working. that that's, that's 2021, I, I, right? Mm-hmm. Working on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to, I just want to tell you, yeah, you meant, you had mentioned that we see each other in the street, you know, occasionally and say hi, whatever, but uh, I have much respect for you. I have much respect for you and I appreciate you and we need to appreciate you a whole lot more because you do a lot for this city. And, you know, sometimes that's a thankless job. 
But uh, just just let just just what just know one thing that I do appreciate what you contribute to our community. Thank you. Oh, thank you. All I appreciate you. hearing that. Mm, yeah, and I'll and I'll say too, Terry. You know, I feel like you are exactly. You know, I always believe this, but you are exactly where you are supposed to be. You know, like when I think about everything that we reviewed just tonight alone, right? Because you've mm-hmm. walked the path, because you've seen this happen in other communities, because of, you know, who you are, you are uniquely qualified to be in that seat. And I am so proud. I mean, I've always been thankful for you and your service on the council. But right now I'm like, we need your voice on the council. We need your perspective in those rooms, making those decisions. We need your voice um, when decisions are being made, right? Because like we said earlier, not every voice is always heard. Not every voice is always counted. Um, and, you know, right now for the critical juncture that we're in as a city, I could not be more thankful for having you in that seat along with all that empathy. Yeah. <laughs> So thank you. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah. And, you know, um, we will always be, you know, we are always here. We're always a resource to you. So definitely don't be a stranger. Um, But again, thanks so much for stopping by. And hopefully those that are listening that this this gets you as fired up as I am and gets you picking up that phone, talking to your local representative, your local councilman, your even the county level, like you said earlier on the housing piece. Um, Hopefully this inspires others to really start to get vocal and voice their concerns about the issue that are impacting our community. So thanks again. Thank you for having me. I really, this this is a lot of fun. Yes, you will come back for sure. (laughs) Except. (laughs) Awesome. You have been listening to This is Beacon, a dynamic duo high five production in association with I Am Beacon, a nonprofit organization 